any of you thought was it without doubt, today is a message about prayer. Um, a message about how a prayer that God, a prayer that God will answer and the secret to making sure that this will happen. Now, straight away, some of you hear that phrase and go, Oh, not me. Um, I, I don't have enough faith. I'm not a big enough Christian. It's, I, I, it's not possible for me to, to pray like Joshua prayed and to make that happen. Um, some of you are going like, oh, that's almost sacrilegious. You can't just go as a secret way of praying and making sure that God does what I want. Now, some of you are probably on this, this persuasion where you go, tell me what I, I have to do to get what I want from God. Like, if you give me all the tricks of the trade, I'm willing to do that. Now, the thing is, all those three statements are totally wrong. So if you are in one of those three places, or more than one of them, that's not where you want to be. So by the time we get to the end of this sermon, hopefully you, you actually go with me and, and end up in a, in a place where we can pray knowing that God desires to answer our prayer. Okay, so first of all, let's work out what's going on. Now, because it's been a few weeks since we've um, we've looked at Joshua and the journey that the Israelites have been on, um, I'm going to jump back a few weeks, and we we had a message that said, "Don't be deceived," and it was looking about the Gibeonites were a a, a group of um, of local inhabitants in the land of Canaan who basically tricked Joshua and the people of Israel, and they formed a partnership, and and so basically this is following directly after that because what ends up happening is all the other kings who are sort of in the, in the southern part of, of, um, of Canaan go, well, that's not fair. They've partnered up with the Israelites who've come to kill us. They should be joining with us. Instead, they've joined with, in their minds, the bad guys. So let's go pick on them. And so we actually see in verse 5. So these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack and they moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. Now, I wonder at that point in time whether Gibeon went, oh, we shouldn't have partnered up with Israel. Now we've actually got five tribes, many sort of city-states or, or many sort of um, groups of people now attacking us because we partnered up with one other group. So the thing is, let's have a look at a map. We've got a, I've got a map there that I'll just throw up on the screen. And what you see is you, you see the different um, the kings and the communities that actually come against uh, Gibeon. So you see towards the top, Jebus, which is where Jerusalem is. Um, so they came to attack Hebron, uh, Lachish, Eglon, Jarmuth and um, Azekar. Basically all of them joined and they came from different places, but all came united to destroy the Gibeonites because they partnered with the Israelites. So that's what's going on. And so, um, so basically what happened, they, they, because of this treaty, they wanted to make Israel suffer a little bit. Um, they were still worried that Israel was going to defeat all of them, but they went, Gibeon's not protected like Israel's protected. And so they, they had some understanding that the, the God of Israel will protect them, but the God of Israel may not protect Gibeon. Let's get them and punish them in a little bit. And then we pick up in verse 6. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp at Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once. Save us. Help us. 
Again, the Gibeonites knew that, okay, we've got no way to match this. In fact, it probably shows why they, uh, underlying, they didn't even start to fight for themselves. They, they ran for help as soon as they could. And you actually see that where they made that partnership with the Israelites, they knew that they couldn't face up to them. So they went, we, we've, we want to form that partnership. And so Joshua responded to the, the Gibeonites call for, for help. And he took his army and he marched to Gilgal, um, um, from Gilgal to Gibeon. And geographically it was uphill. Um, it was about 40 kilometers away. So again, um, some of us may walk 40 kilometers over a number of years. Um, some of us may do it quicker than that. They have marathons. They do it in like half a day. So ridiculous. Like that's what cars are for. Um, but the thing is, 40 kilometers, basically what happened, they, they packed up their soldiers. They got them ready. They traveled light. They got their best warriors and they traveled through the night. Now, we have parents here. We've had people that have been parents a long, long time. Well, they're still parents, but their children are no longer little. But you all remember those nights where sleep was robbed from you. Some of you might still be there. Um, and where your sleep was, was, you were sleep deprived during the night and sleep deprived during the day. And now imagine you're a soldier in this situation. And so you've had a big day of doing whatever you do and this message comes in and Joshua says, get your gear to go, get your gear together guys. We're going to be marching 40 kilometers uphill to then go fight a battle. <laughs> like it's like getting called in for one of those shifts you don't want to do. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this shift. They've got no one else. You've got to do it. I can't even stand up. Like that's what they would have been walking into in this situation. And so basically that's what Joshua does. They come and they, they begin to attack this unified army. And, and again, I don't want to talk about the, the battle so much today because it's like that was like um, something that they were called to do and God actually instructed them to do. But basically what we find is that during this process of the battle, the Israelites do very well. And then you have some of the, uh, the enemy begin to flee and then God helps them out by throwing hail at the enemy army. And I'm thinking, I've seen bad hail before. We've just got our roof repaired from bad hail. I wasn't worried for my life in that situation. So I'm thinking, what size were those hailstones in that storm? And so after this all-night march, um, what we see, um, at the Israelites unleashed the surprise attack. The enemy lines are broken. They fled into the valley, down southwest to the valley, to Azekah and, and Makeda. And then Joshua's men, they gave chase. And then we see God intervening with these large hailstones. And it was, it was so such a massive storm, it actually notes that more people were killed in the hailstorm than in the initial sort of um, battle. But then the battle dragged on. And Joshua knew that he needed more time. So what do you do when you need more time? They us come back tomorrow, guys. Like, um, can we just sort of plan it in our calendar? You rock up over there, we'll defeat you tomorrow. Like, can you please do it? Because again, if they didn't defeat them now, they would go back and they'd collect greater numbers. They would still be there. And again, the Israelites had been given this instruction and this promise that the land that they were going into, God was giving them. Yeah, you, we had to work, work alongside God, but God was giving to them. So these, these people, these foreigners had been judged by God and they were no longer meant to be in the land. So for Joshua to let him go as the, as the, as the, as the sun was setting and, and going, the day's going to end. 
we won't be able, we'll have to do this battle another time. And so Joshua comes to this, to this crucial moment in, um, in verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 12. And on the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. Now, again, this is a really specific prayer, which has actually got a really big result. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. Okay, I don't know what your biggest prayer that you've ever prayed is. I, I, I've prayed some big ones. I've, I've prayed for people. Um, I've, I've prayed for people then stop praying and then all of a sudden that prayer is answered five years later. I'm going, okay, God's good. And I can never, and I, I'll share a quick story. I remember one time I was in high school and we had church at night and my parents would go in the morning, but often we'd go up by ourselves at night. And so it was raining and like it was about a 10 minute it's probably about 10 to 12 minute walk up to the church from my place. So quicker on bike. And I went, it's raining a little bit. And I went, I don't want to get the church soaking wet. I don't want to have to bug my parents to say, come and um, drop me up there and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so I prayed this very specific prayer. Probably too specific because God heard me. I said, God, can you stop the rain for five minutes? And almost instantly, it's just, it's a soft sprinkle. I went, I can ride through this. I can, I'll be right. And I wish I had timed it because to this day, I do not know exactly, but it would have been the last corner before I came onto North Street and it was about a hundred meters up to the church. It started bucketing down and I went, very funny, God. I asked for five minutes and you gave me five minutes. And I showed up to church soaking wet and I should have said, God, Enable me to get the church dry. I should have been a little bit more specific that way. But Joshua is really specific in this situation. God, I want the sun and the moon to stand still. The thing is, and I'm going to put this to you right now. Joshua prayed that prayer because he knew that God wanted to answer it. You might go, well, really? Like, I, I didn't know God would want to answer prayers like that. Now, again, we've got to work with this a little bit. Because what we see, it was a big and specific prayer and it was incredible, but God actually answered him and he answered it promptly. Now, you see in Joshua 10, 13, so the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Now, this becomes key to something that earlier happens in the, in the, in the prayer because what we need to realize is that we need to understand Joshua's motivation to pray. See, Joshua's motivation was to pray boldly to see that God's will was done. And this is what we see in verse 8. So basically, they're, they're gathering the army back in Gilgal. And one of the things I've noted a few times that Joshua, on a couple of occasions, failed to seek out God. But in this verse, what we see before the army had left, God is actually directly talking to Joshua here. Do not be afraid of them. So there was five armies gathered going against Gibeon. The Israelite army was, was traveling through the night to attack them. So God says, again, do not be afraid. A phrase that's repeated numerous times through, through the book of Joshua. And the Lord said uh, to Joshua, for I have given you the victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up for you. Joshua's prayer was God-sized based on the promise of God. 
God had actually already said that none of these guys will last. None of them will stand against you. You are going to wipe these guys out so that they are removed from the land. I've already promised that. And so Joshua was actually trying to think of a way that he could pray that would enable that to happen. I'm sure there probably would have, could have been another prayer he prayed. He goes to said, God, hey, send some more of those hailstones. Send some more of, of, of something else. Make wild animals come up out of the ground. Um, sort of make them get a really bad case of COVID and, and knock them down that way. Like it could have been a whole range of things. But Joshua went, to achieve God's will, what I need is more time. And the day will stop if the sun is right there. Joshua did not say a prayer for himself. It was not for protection or for an easy way out. It was made in the heat of battle for the sun to stay so that he can complete the destruction of his enemies, which God had already promised. In fact, if the sun stays, it would mean a longer battle. And this is one of the things we need to pick up here is that because of this, there was actually more work for Joshua and more work for the Israelites who have already traveled through the night, have already had battle, have already pursued the army of, of their enemies. And Joshua says, let's put the sun in its place until we finish this. There could have been another whole day of fighting. But Joshua was wanting to fulfill the promise and the will of God. Joshua fought to finish the task. He fought to fulfill God's promise. He fought to uphold the glory of God, believing that this is the promise of God. So this is why God answered that prayer. Very specific, very clear, very big. Again, I have not prayed that big ever in my life. There's been big things, but not for the sun to stand still. Uh, I have prayed for weather at times, but like, God, please don't make it rain or please do this. Please make it cooler. Please keep the air cons working. All those prayers I've prayed. But I've never been, and there's always been this tinge of hope with those prayers. Please, please, God, I really want this to happen. Joshua stood there in front of his army. And again, we we jump all the way back to uh, chapter 1. God says, I'm going to be with you like I was with Moses. And so the people actually recognize him as his leader. And here was Joshua going, sun stands still. Moon stands still, we've got God's work to do. And they went and did it. It wasn't even this really long, drawn-out prayer. Anyone ever feel like they can't pray because their prayer's got to be really long, really intense, really religious, really big words? There's not a single big word in that. It's like, it's like the prayer that Elijah prays. You, you know the story of Elijah when he's on, on Mount Carmel and, and, and the 450 prophets of Baal are there and they are praying to their false god all day with dance, with song, with chanting and they keep on praying and God's not hearing, I'll start cutting myself. This will get my God's attention. And Elijah, he must have been Australian because he was on the sideline throwing sort of jokes in. He was saying, maybe your God's on the toilet. This sounds very Australian to me. And so when it was Elijah's turn, he goes, okay, I'm going to come up. Okay, let's make this a really big show. Let's put water over the sacrifice. Heaps of water, guys. Keep, keep pouring, keep pouring. So oh, I can imagine all the water bottles, everyone there starts pouring over. And it fills up this whole sort of um, um, channel around the altar. And then this is Elijah's prayer. God, show that you are real to the people of Israel today. Do you think that's a prayer that God wants to answer? 
Oh, I have no doubt. God wants people to recognize him. So all of a sudden, Elijah prays a prayer very simply, but in line with God's will. And all of a sudden, fire comes down from heaven, takes the, the sacrifice, takes the water, and the people see God on that day. Same thing is happening here in Joshua. So here's a question, or maybe a, a, a comment. How, how, how does prayer work? How, how prayer works in our lives? And for most of us, this is the thing. We, we, I don't know if we struggle with the understanding of prayer. We definitely struggle with the practice of prayer. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, but the thing is, we, we kind of, we, we don't know, sometimes we just don't know what to say. And so we, most of us come to prayer with this way of like, we ask for prayer points. We have a list of things. These are the things that we want to happen in our lives. Sometimes we're left scratching going, God, I, I don't actually have any needs at the moment, so I better just write something down so I can share a prayer point. So we, we make our desires known to God. Now, the foolish thing in that is that God already knows our desires. But we, we, make, and that's the, we emphasize our focus on prayer most of the time is on an area where God is totally informed. You realize that. God is not surprised by our prayer points. Now, your sharing time might be surprised. Oh, I didn't know that was happening in your life. I'm going to tell, my, I'm going to tell them a few people later on. There's a bit of gossip happening. God is not surprised. So, but prayer is making our desires known to God. Um, but the thing is, I think we miss this super often, is that prayer is also where we come to know the desire of God's heart what his will is, and how to pray more in line with what God wants. We don't take the time to pray that way because we come and go shopping lists and, okay, I'm just going to do the top 10 today, God, and I'll work my way down this week. And God doesn't get a, a word in edgewise because prayer is, is a way that we communicate with God. Now, would anyone here whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's something else, would like to come up to someone and say, hey, this is all the things that I want to say, and then walk away, and, and you'd be sitting there going, oh, that was a great chat. I really feel involved in that. Anyone ever done that to God, though? Just me. <laughs> you guys are so much more spiritually mature than me. Oh, no. Okay, so it's just... okay. I, Okay, so you guys get to preach next week to me. I'll sit down and you guys get to preach to me. But the thing is, like, too often my prayer comes before God to saying, God, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I really, really want. I've actually prayed that at the start and the end of my prayer so I can just make sure you're clear, God. And God does not have that opportunity to speak into my life and say, Keith, this is what I really want for you. Because sometimes when God says, this is what I really want for you, it disagrees with some of the things that I want. I don't want to hear that, God. I don't want to hear that some kind of disagreement. I want to hear you say, like a spiritual high five, yep, yeah, I've got that. I've got it all, Keith. I'll sort it all out for you this week. Sometimes I want trials to end. And God says, no, you've got growing to do through that. I'm going to be glorified through this situation. God, I don't, I don't need you to be glorified. I need to go through an easy time. And so we get to a point where our prayer is only one way. But the thing is, when we look at Joshua's prayer, the basis of Joshua's prayer and the basis of our prayers too should be praying in line with the will of God. And the way that we find out the will of God, because that becomes the next question. How do I know what the will of God is? 
is spending time with God. Spending time listening to God. Spending time knowing his heart. And some of the things are really clear. The Bible makes them really clear. The Bible says, go out and make disciples. And so if you should have come, God, should I be making disciples? Well, okay, like, I'm thinking God's up there going like this. Um, and that's just for me. Like, I don't know about what he does for you, but I can just see God doing that. Because sometimes I'm asking him questions that he's already given me answers to. It's like my kids. Do you want me to clean up my dishes every night? Like, and and that's the thing. Like, I'm I'm praying to God. Like, do you want me to do this, God? I thought I answered this 300 times ago. Like, um, why aren't you getting it yet? But the more time we spend with God, more time in relationship, more time just quiet before God, all of a sudden we start to catch a glimpse of His heart. And that's what Joshua did. All of a sudden, as he as he'd spent time with God, and they they were called in by men into this battle. But God spoke to him and saying, this battle is all yours. Don't be afraid. Everyone, everyone is going to be defeated. So when he prayed, he said, God, I want to achieve your will. And this is how I'm going to pray for it. Keep the sun there. Keep the moon there. And we will get on with business. When we, when we understand the heart of God, it shapes our prayer and we pray because we want to see God's will accomplished and his name glorified. And for me, that's the secret to prayer. If you want your prayers to be answered, pray that way. Pray in God's will and pray for his name to be glorified. Because our motivation to pray can be very different. Um, I've talked about that. Like I, I've prayed at times, and again, this list is not comprehensive, and you might find you've done some of it, none of it, all of it, or this might be something I don't even mention. I've prayed for mutual success. When I say that, God help me and let me help you. You know the Jeremy Maguire, let me help you. That's how I pray at times with God. Let me, let bless me this way and I'll be a blessing to you and it'll both of us win God. It's a great deal. We pray for difficulties to be removed. Anyone ever done that? I don't blame you. I don't like difficulties. Like, but sometimes God will say no. And it's only by knowing God's will and being close to his heart that we'll know the difference. Because if we're not close to God's heart and we pray for difficulties to be removed and God doesn't seem to answer, all of a sudden we lose faith. But if we are close to God and say, God, can you remove this health difficulty, this physical difficulty, this financial difficulty, this social difficulty, and God says, no, I need you to journey through it. I might go, I don't understand God, but God just says, that's okay, you don't need to, but I've got this. I can trust him through it. But if I'm not close to God, I feel like God has let me down and it actually affects my faith. So there's an importance in by being close to God because it allows us to trust him even when we don't get the answers that we want. I've prayed at times for my life to be a little or a lot easier. Again, I wouldn't blame people praying that, but God may not always answer that. I've prayed for God's blessings. I've prayed for health for myself and for others, and God may not always want to answer that. The thing is, our prayers must go beyond praying for God to meet my needs, fulfill my wants, and to make us successful. It's got to go beyond that. Because all those prayers are all about me, and they're not about God's kingdom and not about God's glory. And they're not. And again, I'm not saying that we don't do those things, but our prayer needs to be more than that. God cares and will remember my needs. Um, like, do we, do we trust, truly trust God to look after us 
And so do we need to remind him, God, um, I'm running out of money, my, my job's ending, I like, like just make sure I've got something to go to? Like, do, you, do we think that God is forgetting those things? I don't think God forgets. And I don't think we often give him a chance to forget anyway because we're pretty quick giving him over to him over and over again. There will be times that when we pray for our wants and desires, but it cannot be our preoccupation in prayer. Jesus said it clearly in Matthew 6 that our Heavenly Father knows what we need and will provide. Rather, our concern is to seek first His kingdom. Or even see the start of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray that prayer very differently often. God, you're really great. Thanks for being so powerful. Here's my will. Help make sure it's done. That's how we pray at times. We don't say those words, but that's where we're going with it because we haven't taken time to listen to God. We haven't taken time to know, to know his heart. So we actually need to be concerned in seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, there's a few other verses I just wanted to bring up that highlight this even more. Psalm 34.4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, seeking and searching and and sorting in that sense um, is more than just a casual look. It is more than sending your kids to their bedrooms to find a pair of socks. I can't find them. Where did you look? I sort of looked like this and they didn't jump into my feet. We spiritually do that very often. We sort of go, God, I don't know what to do. I haven't, like, have you sought after me? Yes, I have. For how long? At least 10 seconds I was seeking after you. No, no, seeking actually has intent. And you, you can tell kids know what it is to seek well. If you had an Easter egg hunt, their seeking powers multiply. I'm going to keep searching because someone may have missed one somewhere. There's going to be more chocolate here somewhere. God wants us to seek him, us to seek him with passion. And in this verse we see he answers us and delivers us from our fears. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me with a casual look. No, no, when you search for me with all your heart. When you actually put all your effort into finding me, oh, I will be found. But often we'll be like, we've got the TV on, the radio on, something, a device on our lap, and we're going, I can't find God. We are so distracted by the world that we live in. And God says, no, seek me with all, all you have. Stop, stop life for a bit and seek after me and you will find me. Psalm 37 forces, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now again, this, if you take this verse just on context or out of context, I mean, this becomes a great verse going, you know what? I'm going to pray for all the things that I want. And that verse is saying, I'm going to have them. But the beginning of it and actually taking this whole idea into context, it says, delight yourself in the Lord. Actually, really what that means is this, seek to please God. Be happy about the things that make him happy. Be joyous about the things that make him joyous. In reality, have a heart after God. And in so doing, he will answer, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because your heart's going to match his heart. And again, he wants to answer those prayers. And then we do Matthew 6, 33. But seek 
first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first, put it number one in your life to know God and to know his will and to know his heart and then when we pray, we'll be praying in a way that God wants to answer us. And even when our prayers aren't in line with him, we are close enough with, to God to actually hear his answers of no and wait. Okay, last thing as we wrap up today, I want to talk about our practice of prayer. Because again, we can do all the good intentions, all our understand it correctly, but prayer is one of those things that you have to do. Um, like, and, and it's amazing how quickly you can remove it from your life in, a, in an intentional way. We need to be personally seeking God's will. Each one of us saying, God, what, what do you want for me? Like, maybe it's God, what do you want me, for me today? Where do you want me to go? God, help me be aware of what you want to do. God, help me, lead me and, and make it. If you want me to share my faith, show that to me. God, lead me. As a church, we need to be seeking God's will. And we need to be praying big for God's will to be achieved in us and our church and in our world. And this means our understanding of prayer is more than an idealized understanding and intention. It must become a practice. Joshua prayed for the unthinkable and he got it because it was the will of God. He did not ask for an easy outcome. He asked for help to finish the work of God. Now this becomes significant as well because sometimes we pray, God, you fix all of it. Anyone ever prayed that? Like, God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm super in debt. Can you just pour some money into my account and fix all of it? And God gives you a job instead. I'm going, no, God, I asked for money so that I didn't have to work. And, and God says, but I've provided your answer. I've given you a way out. This, this idea of helping finish this work, this is an aside because this could be a whole other sermon on, on its own, so I don't want to go too far with it. But basically when you looked at Joshua, he prayed that God would help him finish the work, not to do all the work for him. Even in our big God-willed prayers, God asked us to join in the work with him. With Joshua, we see God provided through hailstones. We see God provided through stopping the sun. But Joshua and the Israelites had to march through the night uphill. And then when the sun had to stop, they continued to fight for a whole extra day to see God's will achieved. So sometimes we pray for this and then God goes, yep, yeah, I've got the answer for you. You guys have got to do this alongside it. Oh God, I, I want to reach this community for you. That's great. I'm going to answer that prayer. I'm going to use you to answer your own prayer. But God, I didn't ask to be used. I asked you to do the work. No, no. So this is, the, we, we, sometimes we are the answer to the prayers we're praying. And that's part of God working in us. So let his purposes motivate us to pray and let his will direct the contact, content of what we ask for. Hey, quick straw poll. Who thinks they pray enough? Okay. Who thinks they pray with God's will at the center of what they want? I'm going to go sometimes. I, I, I think I do. Probably not all the time, though. And now, this is not my shoulder not being able to go up. It's just it's not, it's not there. Like um, I, don't, I don't 
I don't pray enough in God's will. Who, who prays with other people semi-regularly? Okay. I think praying together is a way of finding God's will. What's that? Oh, the thing is, like, you may be surprised where God leads you praying with your five-year-old. So I, I wouldn't dismiss it. So the thing is, I think it's important for each one of us to pray, but it's not something that we just always do in private. It's something we can do together. And so I, 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 this was something that was on my heart before COVID, and COVID kind of just messed this up really dramatically, like um, the ability to be able to come together and pray together as a church. And so we're going to talk about a few different ways. So you've got to hold, hold this in your mind for a little bit because there's going to be a few different options we're going to have to come together and pray. It might be give up a bit of extra time on a Sunday morning for those who can, and we meet together and we pray for our church, not just our Sunday morning service, but for the people of our church, the, the missions that they are on, the witness that they have, the people that are struggling, and we keep praying for God's kingdom to grow. We might start using a bit of technology. Um, we've just started, um, we've got a district prayer meeting happening on a Friday morning at 6am, and I'm connecting with people from Townsville, some from Rockhampton, um, Serena, and I'm going, the prayer time on, on Friday morning was like, I felt prayed for. And I was able to pray for others. And I went, that's really good. I went, we can do that as a church. We can find a time where each one of us can sort of get in front of our device and um, put our ugly mugs there and go, okay, let's pray. Let's just, let's just do God's business. Let's seek his will. There might be people that you can go, hey, can we catch up for a coffee this week? And while we're doing that, let's take some time to pray together. Let's, let's maybe shorten the gossip a little bit and actually sort of bring God into the mix a lot more. Maybe taking time to pray with your kids would be a great thing. To let them know that they can seek after God too and know his will. Or grandkids even. There's a story, I'm not sure if I've shared this before, but I, I heard a, a sermon on prayer when I was in just about to start grade nine. So for some of you really old people, you go, oh, that wasn't too long ago. For some of you young people, you go, oh, that's ancient. That's, was that back in the 18th century? Not quite. Um, back in the 90s, this was. The 1990s. Um, I was about to start grade, grade 9, and we went away to a camp, and the camp speaker, and this message in a whole has really, I, I still remember it to this day. And it was really about, um, talking about from the passage from Ezekiel, where you stand in the gap between God and man, and basically be an intercessor for the world around you. But he shared this one story in the middle of this sermon, and it was what I want to close with today, that a group of, of, of farmers in the middle of the recession back in, in the early part of the 19th century took a day off work because they felt that God was wanting to do more in them and around them in their community. And so they gathered and they took a day off work, which is a big deal at this time. And so what ended up happening, they, they started praying and the thing is, as you come into prayer, you might have your list there, but these men were moved during that time to go, let's start praying a bit bigger. And so initially they sort of said, God, we're praying for something that will happen in, in our, from this group, from, from this prayer meeting that will affect our community or affect our church that will affect our community. And the, as they kept on praying, they kept on getting bigger and they said, God, I, I pray something will come out of this meeting that will affect not only our church, not only our community, but our state. 
And then it kept on going and it said, God, I pray that out of this prayer meeting, something will happen that will affect not only our church, not only our community, not only our state, but it will affect the world. After a little bit, prayers ended, they wrapped up for the day, each went on to their own, own thing, got back to work the next day. But they had spent time seeking God's will and praying for God's will to be achieved. I'm not sure how long the time frame, a couple of weeks, there was a revivalist meeting and one of the farmer's sons went forward to that meeting. Now, this person grew up, he's dead now, but each of their prayers were answered. He not only affected their church, not only affected their community, not only affected their state, but definitely affected affected the world. Because this farmer's son was named Billy Graham. And the thing is, he's actually, he was actually asked this question, like, look at what God has done through your life. And he said, now look at what God did through a prayer meeting of people that sought after his will for this world. That happened from a prayer meeting. Now, again, Billy Graham did amazing things, but he recognized that this was God at work. And that's where each one of us can be like Joshua. We can seek after God's will and pray for that to happen. And that's what I want us to be as a church, a church that is seeking what God wants and then finding ways to pray for that to be achieved because I know God wants to answer the prayers that actually answer, so achieve his will and give him glory. He has no problems answering those in yes and yes and yes. Again, we may have to pray for a while. We may have to pray for years. But again, God wants to answer those prayers. And it will never be a waste of breath with God in that sense. Lord, I just, I thank you that you are a God who wants to achieve your will in this world because I know that your will is what is best for us. It is best for, for me. It is best for our church. It is best for our community, our state, and it's best for this world. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be able to find ways of knowing your heart, knowing your will, and praying in line with that. Again, our prayers are only powerful because of the person that answers them. And if we know what you are wanting us to pray for, Lord, I know that you will answer that for us. So, Lord, help our hearts sink with yours. And let us have the courage to pray, pray together, to seek your will being achieved in the world in which we live. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.